You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. Mm, me too. <laughs> that was a very mincing. Mm. <laughs> I was just, it was just a yawn. I'll, I'll stop yawning once we start talking. Das ist, sure. das ist mein yawny voice, yeah. Mm. A very German yawny voice, yeah. You went to Germany, didn't you? I did. We did. We went to Berlin. Yeah. So, do, did you hear lots of ridiculous mincing Germans? The only way I know how to do a German accent is like really mincing. Like, yeah, I think you have to either be super angry or super gay. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's the 22nd of May, 2018. I'm Benjamin Riley. And I'm Simon Copland. Welcome to Queers. Each episode we talk our way through questions on a theme, and this week we're talking about the idea of full equality, and whether we can ever actually achieve it. But it's been a while, Simon, since we've actually recorded one of these. It's been kind of some weird delays. We had the interview episode, and you were away, you were overseas, although as you yep. said to me, you've been back for a long time. Then we had the, the we posted the lecture. Then we were supposed to record last week, and I was quite sick. I'm still a bit croaky if that if that comes through. So, so. if you hear any coughs, that's what it is. Yep, it's just yep. me uh, trying not to die as we record. So it's nice. It's nice to be recording again. You know, face to face via Skype uh, and seeing seeing your lovely face again after quite a while. Oh, that's nice, Simon. We you know I was about to ask you how the trip was. Like on air, but we already talked about it before we started recording, which was stupid. We we can't yeah. recapture that fresh, that fresh <laughs> conversational magic. That bit where I was like, it was where I, only, I got home like four weeks ago, and it feels like forever ago already. And oh my god, like that feeling. Was that really? I thought you were just about to go. That bit where I was like Miss Vanji, <laughs> and then and then that's not what happened. But I've clearly oh, I really wish I, I wish I did now. Yep. So, that's yeah. Uh, um, moment bad past. Moment lost. RuPaul's Drag Race reference. Yep. That's become Sorry. like a now life reference anyway. Yeah. No. Totally. <laughs> We've got off track, uh, <laughs> but hopefully we're back on track. Uh, we're back to a, a, a normal recording schedule for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Let's. I hope so too. Last week was the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, Transphobia and Intersexism, or Ida Hobbit. Being the first Ida Hobbit in Australia post the passage of marriage equality, the day provided many with the opportunity to ask, what next? In an article in The Guardian that caught both our eyes, Paul Karp, the journalist, interviewed activists from the Netherlands to talk about the experiences of the country post the passage of marriage equality there in 2001. Karp spoke in particular with the director of the LGBT rights group COC Nederland. Uh, I'm going to guess that uh, I should... I have, like, Dutch heritage, so I should be able to um, figure this out. It's Koen van Dijk, I would guess. Let's go with that who argued that marriage equality did not automatically mean acceptance for queer people and that a lot of work still needed to be done in areas of trans and intersex rights, among others. But Van Dyke also tackled some of the bigger issues of the queer experience. He noted the fact that, on average, LGB kids are aware that they are not straight by age 11, yet wait three years to tell anyone, meaning, and I quote, for the better part of high school, they walk around lonely with a very big secret they feel vulnerable about, unquote. This, according to Van Dyke, highlighted major issues of acceptance of queer people still within our society. In doing so, he called for sweeping new policies, particularly focused in the classroom, as an attempt to genuinely achieve what he described as full equality in both Australia and the Netherlands. And this has gotten us thinking, what is full equality when it comes to queer people? Is this achievable in policy terms? 
Does the idea even make sense? So Ben, let's get started. What, in practical terms, do you think full equality means for queer people? Obviously, there are a few different ways that we can answer this question. Like, I'll I'll get the sort of, like, meta-critique response out of the way first, because I think in in a lot of ways this question is more interesting when engaged with on, like, at face value. So, Simon, you and I have on the podcast been very critical uh, over the the past couple of years. Oh my god, we've been doing this for a couple of years, it's crazy. I know, I know, it's crazy. Um, uh, of the idea of equality, uh, it's it, crit- critiques of the idea of equality are, are, are pretty kind of well documented. Um, the idea that uh, the concept of equality means seeking acceptance essentially within existing structures, and it's not really a transformative idea. It doesn't really um, a- allow us to go, okay, well, maybe equality with what's there already isn't great because what's there already is a bit shit. Um, would would broadly be my critique of that. So so let's let's kind of put that aside for a moment and go. Okay, well if we kind of take it on its own terms within a kind of you know liberal um, uh, smaller liberal framework uh, of you know what does big rainbows equality look like for queer people if we're if we're talking about campaigns and policies and all that sort of thing. Uh, I think often we talk about that in terms of rights. Another idea that you and I have been very critical yep. about uh, on on the podcast. So, you know, legal, primarily legal structures within society that that say that X Y Z kind of person or all people or whatever uh, have access to to various institutions uh, of the state. So whether that's uh, marriage or, or uh, I don't know, people know what rights are. You know, there's, yeah, there's yeah. All, all sorts of all sorts you of know, things legal that that equality be. of some form. Yeah, totally, but. I think what's super interesting to me, and, and obviously, like in the context of Australia, there are like heaps of there, there, there's still quite a ways to go, even just in terms of uh, rights based equality. You know, that there's there's you and I have talked a bit about uh, uh, rights to bodily autonomy for intersex people is is a really kind of big one and a, a really obvious one. There are still kind of lingering pieces of discrimination around uh, trans. Uh, access to healthcare, for example, and other bits and pieces in legislation here and there, although it's mostly been taken care of in in Australia, uh, at least. But what I found super interesting in the way that the Dutch campaigner uh, Van Dyke is talking about in this article is the idea that, like, equality can encompass... Well, this is kind of the question, I guess. Like, what being able to sort of have the same experience as everyone else or so like specifically mm, that example well I don't, but i don't you know, know like... i hadn't thought about it in that way but i think it's a fair way to summarize what he was sort of talking about um because yeah i hadn't thought about it in the, in the sense of like similar experience but i i can see that reading of it but it, i i guess that's kind of the, a question for me is like okay so talking about the, so to take let's uh, build on this really kind of specific example of the idea of a, uh, a a young kid who's kind of you know come to some understanding about their sexuality that that is non-normative that that they have a non-normative experience of of sexuality or gender and wait several years to be able to tell anyone that like how it's not entirely clear to me the relationship between that and the idea of equality like mm. like what you know, if full equality, as he's saying, would... If under a hypothetical full equality, this kid would feel able to just tell someone straight away, oh my god, there's just like so... There are so many weird things about that that idea, you know? Like, first of all, t- 
to i mean maybe i'm kind of getting ahead of myself but you know the idea that like little straight kids are kind of running around shouting out their sexuality is one thing or that they feel comfortable to talk about those things you know like the idea that kind of coming out is some marker of you know when it's perfectly comfortable to 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 come out and tell people about your sexuality at a very very young age that's somehow a marker that we have equality i don't know like that that's a that's a kind of a weird there's a, a few different things kind of messed up together there, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and, and I think the other thing that, um, that we, I think maybe we touched on this in the discussion we were having about this article before we recorded, but I think it's, it's the other issue here is that, you know, I think uh, in, the, in the previous episode, we've, we've done an episode on coming out previously. I can't remember. It was quite a while ago now, actually. Yeah, it was yeah, one it was of in, earlier episodes. Probably 18 months ago, yeah. And, and, and this comes to the question, and this is what we discussed in that episode, and I think you focus on this primarily in that episode, was talking about the questions of difference. Uh, and you know, going back to that meta critique you had of equality, I think that this is where, uh, particularly when we're at the stage where that sort of rights, legal-based equality is largely, by and, by and large, done. You know, there are bits and pieces to do, obviously, and we've 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 mentioned that. But in particular for 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 gays, gay, lesbian, and bisexual people, the LGB that he was talking about in this quote, it's you know, it's largely done. It's I think a lot of the work needs to be done in that in trans and particularly intersex space um, a lot more, but. When you get to that, when you've got to that stage where that where that rights equality has been achieved, and you're looking still using the framework of equality uh, to sort of deal with broader social issues and to broader social acceptance, uh, it sort of butts up against that question of difference and and what is it that makes queer people different from heterosexual people or, or non queer people, uh, and what what is what does that look like? Uh, because I think that the the problem is how do you create a a question of social acceptance or social equality, I should say, which is a kind of idea of full equality mm. whilst also acknowledging the the realities that we are different and that we can't have what you said before, the same experience, and we can't guarantee the same experience for everybody because we are different, whether you're queer or not. But a, a core part of the queer experience is a, an experience of difference, and that requires a different experience to that of the straight experience. Totally. I mean, maybe there's, maybe there's kind of, maybe the the question here is like, what is the relationship between equality and discrimination? Like, maybe that's kind of what. Maybe there's a sticking point there that, like, how do you, if we frame discrimination like in a very broad sense as you know the experience of kind of discrimination in society. As somehow, like, if you have that, then you don't have equality. I don't know. I mean, that seems that seems kind of impossible. It to does, me. yeah. It really does. Um, particularly, uh, particularly when you're thinking about it in the policy sense, which I think is how he was thinking about it. And and in particular, totally, like, this, practically, what do you do about this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's. I mean, it's interesting to me that uh, he spent a lot of time in this article talking about schools. And I don't know whether that was because that was his focus or because of that is kind of a focus in Australia at the moment. And so the article was kind of skewed that way. It's hard to know. Um, But, you know, I think that, you know, when you're talking about discrimination and thinking about equality through that lens of discrimination that, you know, if you, if you're discriminated against, you don't have equality, then you can, then I can understand why schools might be a place in which, you might want think of some practical policy terms in which you could try and address that. Sure, uh, yeah, and and that um, makes sense as 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 an approach. But 
uh, you know, d- can schools in this instance really be the sort of the, the frontier of dealing with these questions of equality? Is it actually, can we achieve these sorts of things in schools that he's talking about? And I, and I don't know, because I don't know whether the, the government in this instance really has the capacity to deal with all of these questions. Uh, and I think that that is the challenge of, of having a framework of, a, of equality when your sort of legal rights are largely dealt with and largely have been largely achieved. Yeah, totally. It becomes a very, like, the 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 gap as it were that you're trying to close becomes super abstract you exactly. know when when layered on top of this like i mean you know rights are also pretty abstract but they but they're much more codified hmm. um and often they're they're pieces of legislation that you can change you know you can see the the discrimination in the marriage act so you can campaign to have that changed and that is a is an achievable goal whereas you know Achieving a thing where an 11-year-old can feel comfortable coming out and doesn't have to wait three years, that is much more difficult to... That's, it's, it's very difficult. That's not very tangible. It's very difficult to, to measure. It's very difficult to see whether that is something you can change, and let alone whether it's something that is inherently a good thing to be able to want to change it. For sure. I mean, you know, I feel, I feel like we can we can almost talk about this around, like, the, the hypothetical idea of a version of the safe schools program that's, like, perfect and... and uh, um, you know, does these things. Like, imagine that that's the kind of vehicle for implementing uh, changes like this. I mean, I, I'm tr- I'm struggling to even kind of get my head around a world in which... So, so to go back to the, this idea of coming out, because um, it is, it's kind of a, a core one for me. I think that the critique that I was making on that, that episode, which again was quite some time ago... Mm, and I'm sorry, I summarised your critique for you. <laughs> no, 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 totally. Uh, you, that was... Uh, you, that was um, a, a good summary, but yeah, is the idea that com- coming out is we talked about coming out as uh, sort of one of the very few experiences that are universal to queers in some form or another. I think I think that may may have even come up in an episode earlier than that when we were sort of trying to come up with uh, uh, those sorts of experiences or those sorts of ideas. Mm-hmm. And to me, coming out is is almost like a. Um, the reason it is, I think, the quintessential queer experience is because it is uh, a, a sort of ritualized and named and codified way of marking people as other. It's this experience that we have that is literally about denoting ourselves as other, which which is a, a kind of fundamental part, to, to me at least, of what, what queerness is. And so... I'm I'm trying to kind of imagine a hypothetical world, let alone the version of safe schools that would lead to this, in which not only would that 11-year-old not feel the need to kind of stay, quote-unquote, in the closet or whatever for several years, but wouldn't even potentially need to come out. Like, is that is that what we want here? I mean, what does that even... What does that what look does that like? Look like? Where, in which... Uh, it's kind of a situation in which everybody has to come out because it's... It's, you know, there's no assumed sexuality and yeah, so therefore sure. there is yeah. no other, which I can see. I mean, I'm see, down with that for sure. Yeah, I, you know, I, I can see it, you know, in a, in a kind of, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think in, in the ideal world, I'm down with it too. Um, in the practical sense, it's really difficult in the, in, as an immediate short-term thing that you can deal with in schools. And that's, 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 the, that's the problem that I have between... With, with this with this term of full equality, I guess, yes. is yeah, that yeah. I keep returning to, that it's it's... Uh, it requires much bigger social changes than just 
achieving equality of some form. It requires thinking about something in a bigger sense than just thinking about how can we be as equal as the other, you know, the straight people who don't have to come out. It actually is about re-fundamentally changing the way we think about sexuality so that kind of everyone has to come out. Or or everyone just has, you know, there are no questions about what is your sexuality. Um, So so short of like sexual revolution, then the, which, you know, again, all four, but you know, short of, short of that, in the context of, of uh, e- equality as it's usually defined, like, what all we're, all we're aiming for is, cl- is closing that, that gap as much as possible to have this little kid be able to say, I'm queer, as soon as they themselves understand it. I mean, I think you're I right know. in that, like, we're, we're just kind of, like, I feel like this is a, a, an example that, that totally shows why the concept doesn't really make much sense. Yeah, and I think that that is true, and I, I, that, that you know that for me that is why this concept doesn't make sense, and why I found this article sort of challenging in the way that I went. Well, this some of this just doesn't quite work for me. But then at the same time, I think there's also this interesting question that we can ask of you know, do we want a situation short of full sexual revolution where that kid can feel comfortable coming out earlier? What does that look like? And does that actually, you know, and going back to this question of coming out, which I think is kind of central to this piece in many ways, and is central to a lot of the debates around sexuality at the moment because, you know, things are so focused on schools and so therefore coming out is an integral part of the debate because, you know, that's, that largely happens when kids yeah, are at school. Yeah, yeah. I feel, I can, one of the perspectives I was thinking of, you know, when I was, I was reading this and now thinking about it, talking about it now, is I can see the desire... You know, when you're talking about coming out as being sort of a process of identifying yourself as the other, as as, as an other, I think there's two ways you could read that. Uh, the first way is you can read that as sort of uh, the, the, the process of coming out is identifying yourself as different and excluded and as different uh, and outside, uh, which is obviously the has been and, and remains the case for many people that, that coming out sort of is automatically labels you as being different and other in a negative way. But then also the coming out process has been used by queer communities as a positive, affirming, mm. coming out into a community, coming out into this sort of, uh, sort of in, a, in a very strong way and using that in a very strong way. And so what I'm getting at is here is that coming to this question of coming out or coming out, and I think this comes to the question of difference itself in many ways, is one of the sort of the desire from Van Dyke is the desire to sort of shorten that gap because of a feeling of that otherness that, you know, the, 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 ability, the desire to get rid of that otherness so that we are equal socially, uh, which I think is something that kind of rejects the difference. Does that make, am I making sense? Sure, sure. Is it seeing um, coming out through only through a negative lens of being placed as an other in a negative sense rather than through the positive agency that can come with coming out? Totally. Because I, I feel like they're, they're sort of two different... Ex- yeah, I don't know. And I think this was something we talked about on the... So I feel like it's it's kind of bad form to, to keep referring to this, right. um, pre- this previous discussion. But, you know, the, like, as you said, there are sort of two ways that we can frame coming out, one of them being like... Uh, the abstract sort of marking of otherness, but the other being the idea of being socialized into queerness, mm. um, which I think is is a, a lovely way of of imagining it in the context of of community and 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 queer um, community spaces. But that idea has increasingly become abstracted from that, and and is is isn't that usually when we talk about it now. 
Yeah. yeah and, 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 you know, it's even thinking about going to that, back to that initial quote where he said, you know, for the better part of high school, they walk around lonely with a very big secret they feel vulnerable about. Um, and I, and I, and I think about, you know, I think maybe as a queer adult, I think about my experience of not being out and what that was like. And I certainly do feel that element of loneliness that, that, that he talks about there. And I can see that in myself. Yet at the same time, I see a whole range of processes that uh, own activities that I engaged in that I found exciting and that I found built me as a person and made me stronger, stronger. And there was an element of that difference that I think has helped me build as a person and grow as a person at that point of time. And so what I'm getting at is that, that, that desire for equality, for that full equality and that shift of a desire to move for a full equality in social terms is often about getting rid of those things that might be difficult at times, but also build build us as queer people and socialize us as queer people. And part of that process is coming out. And part of that process is knowing you're queer and not, not having been comfortable just yet coming out. And obviously we want to make people feel comfortable to come out. And I, and I, and I don't, and I think that's inherently true, but at the same time, do we want to get rid of all of our queer, queer experiences and what does that look like? And how do we shape people to be comfortable being queer without getting rid of queer experiences? Uh, and mm. this is the kind of challenge that I'm, I'm dealing with when I, when I come up to these questions of full equality and when I deal with questions of like broader social acceptance, um, I don't think yeah. in the short term we're getting rid of coming out as a process, but so how, what does that look like where we can sort of facilitate the, the parts that build us as a queer people, as queer people, uh, whilst also getting rid of the negative elements? I mean, it's tricky because like, you know, I'm super, I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to what you're saying, but I'm also very skeptical of, and, and I'm sort of, I think, going to be overstating your position here, it. but I'm skeptical of uh, hardship shapes us as what we are, and therefore, oh, you know, yeah. we should hang on to that sort of narrative. It happens. It comes up a lot in in uh, communities around HIV in terms of discussions of the AIDS crisis, and and plays out in really gross ways. I think. Yep. Um. So yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm a little I'm a little wary of that. At the same time. There's something kind of strange to me about the framing of like a young child's coming out as this, I don't know, like marker of acceptance to broader society. Like, I, I don't know quite how to articulate this, but there, there's something almost, I don't, I don't know, that is a little gross or a little kind of makes me feel a bit uncomfortable about the idea of like wanting to sort of like claim the the private experience of, of a young queer kid as as some mark of, pro- of of progress or of movement towards equality like that I, yeah i don't know quite why that feels yucky to me but yeah i don't know like like to render that entirely a political act to to demonstrate to ourselves that we are like to, i don't know it's it almost becomes about like the public ownership of of queerness you know, mm. among uh, like children, like of 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 queer children, you know that that we only see things as quote unquote equal if we are able to kind of I don't know, like claim that symbol for our for our own. When and- those early experiences are, are, are for for any kid, I imagine not just queer kids, although obviously it's heightened for queer kids, but but deeply kind of 
um, personal and, and, and deeply private uh, experiences. And I think also there's something about, and this goes back to the episode we did, the last episode we recorded together, um, sort of about the, I find something a bit, I don't, I, some, something a bit gross, I guess, is the same term about the desire to go to that 11 year old kid and to label, to be able to go, you're, uh, you're, 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 you're not, you're not straight. You're 11 years old. You feel you're not quite straight. And we want to be able to put that label of gay or bisexual onto you so we can label you at that point of time. And then that creates yeah. your acceptance, having that sexuality label at that age, uh, right then and there. And that is how we define you being equal and accepted. And that I also find kind of gross because, mm, yeah, sure. I, you know, labeling people at that age and, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big fan on a fan of, let alone our obsession with labels, you know, identity labels at, as adults, um, you know, which I, which I find really problematic, but I feel like. Totally. It's like the real sexual utopia is not one where no one has to come out. Well, I mean, it's that too, but it's where we're all just fucking whatever, you exactly. know. Exactly. And no one gives a crap. Yeah. Um, whereas this, this equality utopia, I think uh, is reliant upon the label uh, and reliant upon mm. being yeah, identified being able to identify your label as soon as you possibly can and to have your label accepted. Uh, and that that doesn't sit right with me. It just doesn't quite work, you know. Mm. Particularly because I know that that, you know, when, when he's talking about people feeling comfortable coming out at age 11, it's that, you know, we'll come out and then we will, uh, you know, that is your label for life and that is what, what you are. And, you know, at, at age 11, I wasn't deciding what my label for life was. You know, <laughs> I really wasn't. Uh, I don't think I was anyway. Um, maybe some other people are, but that's not that's not for me. And I think that if we if we shape it in just this way, it has capacity to sort of see yeah, equality through labeling that I don't quite like. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's it just kind of, um, I guess, hammers home the idea that there is no space for queerness uh, under the terms of equality, really. Mm-hmm. Because it's, think, yeah, it's important to be able to categorize in order to be able to um, decide whether or not we're equal. Yeah, and I think this is my fear going back to this question of schools. Um, you know, it's my fear about some of these programs in schools that I think that are focused around this sort of identity labeling. You know, if you look at a lot of the materials of of the Safe Schools program, uh, they, you know, they, they, you know, they naturally did because, you know, I think by and large it was a good program and still is, but it sort of, it sort of falls into that labeling trap in many ways. And that, I don't know, it worries me rather than, you know, we don't really have the capacity yet as a society to talk about a program that's just like, just anybody can be whoever they want and can, can fuck whoever they want. I mean, we would be saying that in schools, but you know, can, can, you know, why not Simon? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but, but people can do that and it's, it's okay to change, you know, for those things to change at the moment. I think we're still very much stuck in there. It's okay to be gay. It's okay to be bi. It's okay to be trans and it's okay to come out as that. And then to be that in school as well as to be that in society. And that's not quite, it just doesn't, yeah, it's just, it's not, that's not a, a full libera- liberatory sort of approach for me. Yeah, for um, sure. And like, uh, get, you know, I feel like when you when you put it in those terms, like obviously it makes sense why we talk about it in those ways. Like, mm. given how shit the experience is of lots of particularly young queer people and queer people in general, just being able to say it's okay for you to exist is can can be a, a really kind of powerful statement. Absolutely. But, I mean, I think it raises questions about like if we 
for me, this article is interesting because it, it it's like, that's a good approach for now in lots of spaces, but we have to be able to recognize its limits and then maybe uh, transition into to a different way of kind of approaching these sorts of problems. Or, you know, it's not obviously it's not that linear and different approaches can be happening at the same time in all sorts of different spaces. But for me, this article is interesting because it shows where the where those limits are in a really kind of hard sense. Like if we keep kind of pushing pushing along with this uh, very simplistic sort of equality based framework, it does after a certain point stop making sense. Yeah. But how do we how do we recognize that and and know that we need to kind of start taking different approaches? I mean, I I, I don't feel confident that uh, g- given the dominance of liberal sort of identity politics in a country like like Australia and in most uh, Western liberal democracies, uh, I can't I can't see that happening. We have a comment on a post on our Facebook page from a listener, Andrew Robert, uh, that we thought was interesting and, and worth uh, a bit of a discussion here. Uh, so this is a comment on a story from about a month ago now. Uh, about a Canberra business that during the same-sex marriage debate uh, fired or sort of ended a contract, ended a working relationship with a contractor uh, who had posted, uh, who had changed their po- their Facebook pro- profile to an it's okay to say no message. So the Canberra business, they ended this contract with them, this, this, this working relationship with them. And then this went to the Fair Work Ombudsman, um, to the person challenged their sort of being firing, I guess, from, to the Fair Work Ombudsman, which came back in April and said that the this business had no case to answer over the firing of Madeline, the person's name. Um, I'm not sure they were just known as Madeline, so maybe that's not their, their real name anyway. Um, and we sort of posted this uh, story. I think it was it got quite a bit of coverage during the uh, same-sex marriage debate last year. And Andrew made a comment that I thought was uh, quite interesting, um, basically in arguing that uh, what Andrew says, that this, this ruling could create a dangerous precedent, uh, is what he thinks. And very uh, nicely, uh, he sort of had this great five uh, sort of paragraph comment that which we'll post on the show notes, but he sort of summarised it at the end. So I'll just read the summary of what Andrew says. And he says, In a nutshell, just because we don't like a person's thoughts or opinions doesn't mean we should necessarily accept or or censor them. Rather, we should create a dialogue to help a better society without belittling anyone or creating hate. And I guess Andrew's fear is that by firing someone, we create a precedent that could lead to people being able to fire people who support same-sex marriage because of their political views, for example, which I think is something we might not, you know, many of us might not like. Uh, so, Ben, what, I mean, what are your thoughts on this this story? Do you do you agree with Andrew? Do you think that this person had the right to fire someone for, for, their, for opposing same-sex marriage? I mean, it's. I think it's a little tricky. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that it's a contractor and not an employee kind of makes a difference for me. Absolutely, a- yeah. And it's it's something where, like, my... Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think if, if it was the case that it was someone firing an employee, I, I mean, I think that that's absolutely not okay and would be kind of very clear-cut for me. And I think... The idea of like firing an employee for a political belief is um, is kind of awful and and shouldn't be uh, isn't something that that should be uh, condoned or, or or legal and it isn't as far as far as I'm as far as I'm aware. But in the case of a contractor relationship, I think it's a little harder because yeah, I don't know. Or may, maybe it's not like maybe I'm I'm just trying to like kind of put myself in in the 
the shoes of someone in this situation and when you don't, you know, like as long as you're fulfilling the terms of a contract with a person, like there's not necessarily an obligation for, for something ongoing or, or, or that sort of thing. Like I think that if I found out something, if I was contracting to someone or, or had a contractor working for me and I found out something really, really distasteful about them, like I would... I would really struggle to continue that working relationship. And I don't know, and maybe this is just a case of kind of my my principles butting up against my sensibilities and and there being a bit of a, a clash there. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 kind of it's it's tricky. It I don't is, know, what do you tricky. think? Um, I agree, it's tricky. And it's definitely trickier because of the sort of contractor uh, business person relationship. Although I also find that difficult because I think we're increasingly turning towards a world in which people are uh, sort of stuck in contracts and stuck totally. in a contract relationship, point, yeah. which is one that sort of eliminates these sorts of protections. Um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, good and point. so it's really hard to know exactly what was going, what this sort of uh, relationship was were they just provide you know were they providing service or were they essentially an employee an employee who happened to be on a contract and so therefore they could get away with this yes yeah I, I mean I think the other thing that I that I really have thought about was uh, so the the owner of this business was called Madeline Sims uh, and sort of uh, this caused you know there was quite a bit of controversy and it, they posted something on Facebook sort of explaining I guess why they ended this relationship. Uh, and I thought it really um, sort of said a lot. And anyway, I'll just read what she said and then I'll just sort of explain what I'm trying to think here. She said, Advertising your desire to vote no for same-sex marriage is, in my eyes, hate speech. One, it's bad for business. Two, I don't like shit morals. And three, I don't want homophobes working for me, especially in an environment with children. And what I thought was thinking about this mm. is kind of like, what I see is sort of a growing trend in which uh, sort of opposing measures in relation to same-sex marriage or just any sort of queer, queer, uh, you know, queer equality, as we've been talking about today, is sort of increasingly seen through the eyes of being hate, hate speech and therefore yeah, totally. being seen as kind of almost the equivalent of something that is inherently damaging. And, and the way I was thinking about this is kind of almost being seen as, as similar or, you know, as firing someone who has sexually or physically or emotionally harassed someone because it's that sort of, it's, it's almost being yeah. given the same light as that. Totally. Well, it goes back to the discussions that we had around the, the podcast postal survey and potential plebiscite around like framing ourselves as vulnerable framing it framing ourselves as like automatically subject to harms in certain ways that that I um that make me really uncomfortable yeah yeah and i think also framing these questions less and less as political questions and more as moral very moral and personal questions mm. um and which are which they obviously are but they're also political questions and i think that what i what i'm seeing here is and what i saw through this case and particularly through those that that quote that comment was this uh shift in which uh this person who who sort of made a political statement through their facebook pro profile was seen instead to be made a, to, to be making a statement of hate speech and a, an in turn a statement of harassment and a turn of statement that damage that inherently damages queer people and that is where I find this a little bit more distasteful for me because I think 
it can that kind of stuff can be easily flipped on us uh, very quickly mm. uh, when someone makes a comment that is critical of Christianity or Catholicism, and suddenly, or that you is know, deep- as as we've seen, like comments saying that, like you know, the the the, the uh, Christian conservatives were, were using this exact same ta- tactic against queers during the postal survey campaign by saying like. By saying that we are homophobes, you are harming us, mm. you know. And and so, for me, it's that removal of the political part of this question yes. that I find yeah. most worrying. Um, because it sort of takes it away from the a contest of ideas and political debates and moves it into this space in which one is harming the other and we're all harming each other and therefore we all have the right to fire each other because your political views actually are ones that are, are hate speech and, and harmful and a kind of in turn akin to harassment. And I just totally. don't think that's the yeah, case. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really like that analysis because it, it becomes a way to just totally opt out of engaging with the issue as well, which is not how things get better. I think Andrew made that point really well at the end where he said, you know, rather we should be creating a dialogue to help us better society without belittling anyone or creating hate. Uh, You know, I think that the sort of the desire to automatically fire someone or to cancel someone and to say that, you know, you you did this thing, you're you're cancelled, you're sacked, you're out. Uh, You know, that can, can we be doing something that creates dialogue or that, that works in a sort of more political sense of creating, changing people's minds. Because I think that something in, is that uh, thinking things in a, in a political sense creates a space in which you're inherently thinking more about changing people's minds and changing people's perspectives and p- opinions. Whereas I think it's, if you're thinking often in a, in a moral or harm sense, it's often seen as it sort of creates a space where it's more about cancelling someone or getting them out of your space because they're harming someone, not, not rather than as a way of changing them, thinking about changing their minds, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And it, it's, a, it's a very, like, sort of removes any... Removes the idea of responsibilities, I think, generally from mm. uh, from I don't know questions of sort of rights or questions of of f- freedoms. You know, the idea of even participating in a community or participating in a society to me, responsibilities have to be a kind of core part of that. Uh, and you know, that's often you know we have I think the responsibility to engage in a society that doesn't necessarily always reflect our views exactly and that's and maybe i don't know maybe that's kind of a a a bullshit devil's advocate thing to say because obviously queers and other marginalized folks have to engage in those things whether they want to or not every day but i think it's important sometimes to hang on to that as a positive thing as something that is a, a a a good thing about living in a society yeah, yeah, and it, and it's a challenge, and it's a difficulty. It's difficult sometimes, but I think that it's an, a thing we need to hold on to. Mm, yeah, I agree. Uh, well, thanks. Great question, Andrew. Heaps to heaps to think about there. Um, and and we'll post that up on on the on the show notes as well. But if you'd like to get in touch or make a comment like Andrew, uh, you can do so in multiple ways via the interwebs. You can email us queerspodcast at gmail We are on Facebook and Twitter at queerspodcast. We're also on social media. I am on Twitter at Ben C. Riley. 
and Simon's on Twitter at Simon Copland. He's also on Facebook at Simon Copland Writer. You can also find the podcast on our website, queerspodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and uh, leave us a review and rating as that always helps other people find us. And it's always nice to get a nice review as well. And always thank you to our podcast network earbuds who uh, provide us with great support uh, in making this podcast happen. Make sure you go and check out the earbuds network. There are some great podcasts up there. Also, finally, tell a friend. Uh, If you like the podcast, if you like what we do and know someone that you think would be into it, uh, please let them know. I, I hear constantly from people who've been recommended the podcast uh, by by a friend, I got an email from someone just the other day who was like, oh, I found out about your podcast through uh, your friend Brad. And I was like, oh, that's really nice. Uh, and the I was telling Simon before we started recording the queer reading group that I've been running in Sydney, um, which I keep forgetting to, to plug on the podcast. We had someone come along to that last week who came along because she listened to the podcast and it was so... Cool. I was very chuffed and embarrassed. That's so, nice. word of mouth, uh, you know, it's a thing. Uh, we'll, we'll post about the uh, queer reading group on the Facebook and Twitter pages for the next one if you want to go along. Great. Uh, but in the meantime, thanks as always for listening, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode on schedule this time. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.